Disclaimer. No data subjects were harmed in the making of this podcast. Welcome to the Privacy Bar and Bands podcast. We make privacy awareness simple. Seat back, relax, and grab your darkest privacy myths and misconceptions. Your mind-boggling experience begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Hello, listeners of the Piracy Bound Bands podcast. Welcome to another episode, and this episode is one that I am particularly excited for. Um, on this episode, we have something very special, but I will save introductions. Um, for now, you just need to know her name is Nina. And Lena is someone that you definitely want to know. Lena, how's your week been? What have you been up to? What has been happening hmm. in the privacy world? You know? <laughs> I've been okay. Been, you know, because I work at the regulator for data protection and privacy in the country. So we've been working towards doing um, National Privacy Week. And so that's kind of what it's been like it's been really hectic you know trying to get all the letters out and the logistics and making sure we have like a perfect event so that you know it gets out there you know it gets on the you know we get the kind of media awareness we're looking for because we're still relatively new as well so that's basically been it to be honest that's all I can think of right now I won't lie like other than the few personal things happening in my life everything else is surrounded (laughs) It's is based on privacy week it's so intense but um yeah that that's life we move look i think so privacy week is um is one that i so i mean we're a podcast as well we're a privacy podcast and i can tell you that it's one that has been taking up a lot of my brain space because i'm constantly like okay what do we have planned are we ready is graphics done is this done um but yeah we're, we're we're looking forward to it i'm also looking forward to it um, I mean, it's it's nice that there is a regulator now that's dedicated to privacy now in Nigeria, at least, and that you know that there's a consciousness about celebrating privacy. I'm actually excited and looking forward to the kind of stuff that you know is going to come out of this. You know, I'm sure that you you've got your hands in it's going to be fantastic. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. That is that is definitely the plan. <laughs> And and you're right. And the funny thing is that it's not just it's not just Nigeria. It's everywhere. It's global. It's a global thing. But but what do you think are some of the strong themes you can expect from this year's privacy? Because I mean, especially for us, like taking the concept of privacy, which is a global thing, and localizing it. What are some of like the the themes that you know? I mean, we can expect to see the regulator push strongly. Um, um it's 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 very simple um privacy matters just it, it's just we're trying to simplify it because a lot of people still don't understand what it is nigeria is still mm-hmm. relative the whole concept of privacy and protection is is still an emerging concept in the country and so it's yeah. so difficult to get people to understand the importance of these things they just see it as like oh government is just creating another agency they're just wasting funds etc but it's like this thing it's not just this it's not just nigeria everywhere in the world they're yeah. um, building upon supervisory authorities because we're seeing how we're transforming into a digital world and we've already even transformed into a digital world and it's only going to get worse <laughs> right? all right so exactly. you need to have some form of regulation you can't just allow 
all these big tech companies to just come in and you know do what they want and so you have to start from somewhere and i guess that's where we're starting from and so that's what we're trying to push the message this year is just privacy matters the importance of it raise awareness of it raise awareness of who we are as an organization as well and then just you know sort of move in from there i mean this is perfect because today's episode is actually titled um your data matters and i it's like the play on matters as in m-a-t-t-e-r-z and then Mm -hmm. m-a-t-t-e-r-s because it does matter and we're going to be discussing those matters (laughs) um (laughs) so i think um let us let us start by um actually getting to know a bit more of the fantastic voice you've been hearing who's taking time out of a very busy schedule as we all know we're prepping for privacy week um to be here on the podcast lena do you do you mind just telling us a little bit about who we're listening to Hi, hi everyone. Um, so my name is Lena Abba. I work at the Nigeria Data Protection um, Bureau. Um, I have roughly two and a half years of experience in data protection and privacy. I think, I don't know whether I should say it, but like my story getting into data protection and privacy was basically an accident, but it turned Please out to work us. out very well for me. Please tell us. <laughs> No, I think there are so, many of us, many of you who stumbled into this, but please tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, okay. Um, so I had, um, I'm a lawyer, I'm a trained um, lawyer. I was working first more in prosecution initially. And so I had moved to um, the National Information Technology Development Agency, that's NITSDA. And so when I got to NITSDA, initially in my head, I was like, okay, I'm a lawyer. I want to make sure that I stick towards still being a lawyer. I hope they push me into the legal department, blah, blah, blah. I was so worried that I would be pulled away from like law, for some, which is very odd anyway. But I was so worried about being pulled away from being um, a lawyer and stuff. And I thought just they would just send me to some random department and I would end up just doing like random things. And so then they had sent me to, they posted me to the e-government development um and regulations department and so i went quickly and was searching i was like oh what that what is that am i still going to be doing like legal work etc etc i did see that they had regulations on compliance so funny enough the nigeria data protection um um, regulation desk was part of the egdr and the only certified data protection officer at the time at Mm. snitsda was under that department so we had started working with him and Mm. the director of that department is now the national commissioner of the bureau as well and so, yeah, so when I got in, I didn't even really know, like, of course, I knew what data protection and privacy was, but I didn't know that Nigeria was even doing work on it or that we had the regulation or anything. So, like, everything was so new to me and it was so fresh to me. And I found it so interesting. And I was like, wow, God, really do work in wondrous ways because I did not expect myself to be. And I don't even think I would, yeah. And I don't even think I would have been interested in being like, if not, I was thrown into it. And I, so we started, um, so basically we're just, I was just shadowing um, the uh, person in charge at the time, my supervisor at the time. And he, he was, you know, he was a certified data protection officer and he was the one doing all the, he was working on the regulation. He was trying to get guidelines out, you know, so we're just, I was basically just behind him, just running up and down. And so I picked up a lot on that um yeah. i did a couple of examinations for uh, data protection pcb certified data protection officer and then also 
Um, ISO 27701, which is the Privacy Information Management System as well. Infosec, um, yeah. Yes, InfoSec. So just so that I can also, you know, have more understanding of everything that we're doing. But interestingly, now what I do at the Bureau is I'm more in charge of strategy, partnerships, and just, you know, trying to trying to bring in um, people that would work with, uh, collaborate with us because we're still relatively new. And like I mentioned earlier, and just try yeah. and see how we they can help us get more awareness and, and so on. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is very interesting because um, actually it was, I met Lena for the first time in her role as strategy um, partnerships. Um, uh, I was working for an NGO at the time and Lena was uh, the one who was in charge of, um, you know, the partnerships. So we were looking to partner with the Bureau at the time. I mean, partnerships is such a big part of what you guys are doing at the moment, especially in light of privacy week um mm -hmm. so i'm guessing there's a lot of pressure going on but what kind of should i say what kind of um partnerships are you looking forward to the most i mean going into 2023 mm. okay so um just before i get into that so when i met yesterday i was I was so surpri not surprised, but I was really impressed by like how eloquent and how well spoken you are. We were even talking about you at the office after, and we we're like, oh, like I like how she presented herself, and you know, you went, yeah, we were so happy with that and everything. And and I was telling them at the office, I was like, yeah, I like how well spoken she was and everything. I, but I know after that, I had just you know work just went crazy after that, and so I wasn't very good at communicating and dealing with the issues. But I so please forgive me for that. But I mean, initially, my first impression was like, yes, this is this is someone I want to work with definitely. And here we are. <laughs> so it's just now, just sorry, just a little side note. Here we are. I mean, yeah. Here um, we are, but yeah, because look at this. This this yeah. This is something that has come out of um, a different, totally different context. And here we are. But thank you so much for the compliment. Um, You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you so much. It's nice to know that I was being spoken about in the bureau. <laughs> um, yeah, thank you so much. But yeah, you're welcome. Um, but so, like what you were talking, we were talking about the partnerships with the um, bureau. So just to, I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, but the bureau is basically mandated to um, basically push for the implementation of the Nigeria Data Protection Regulation, push for the creation of a Nigeria Data Protection yeah. Law in the country so that we don't just have a subsidiary legislation, but we also have a law. And so, and also we're just, you know, general yeah. um, awareness and pushing data protection and privacy practices within the public sector as well as the private sector and so on and regulating all of that. And so that is what the Nigeria Data Protection Bureau is. And that is what we're doing. And we were created out of NITSDA. So um, in terms of partnerships, I think we have a couple of, I don't know I don't think I'm allowed to speak on them yet but we have a couple partnerships on the way um where we're going to help build capacity building for the private uh, the public sector first and the private sector the public sector because they are some of the major data controllers in the country at the moment and they're they do in not Nigeria, comply as yeah in Nigeria exactly and they do not comply in a way that they need to and so there's just a need and it's just it's simply because they don't know because a lot of the time when we visit data some major data controllers government's offices and we tell them oh you you know part of our awareness is to make sure that you do this and you have a data protection officer you train your data protection officer etc 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 they're all like very mm -hmm. interested and they're like yes we usually have very good feedback from the heads of agencies of course and so 
And so it's just for them to implement that. And, you know, it's it's very difficult to change things. But then I think over time we'll be able to do that. Um, so, yeah, so a lot of the partnerships are towards, you know, trying to build capacity of members of, you know, both sectors and then also um, try to generally raise more awareness and, and reach the grassroots at some point as well. Hmm. I mean, so th- this is, the, the, I'm, the, I'm very excited about this because, you know, and this is very on theme for the podcast, but um, before we even go into the interesting people, we want to hear, Lena give us some, we want to hear some, some more information from Lena. So basically, um, one of, on this segment of the podcast, which we've called the Spotlight segment, um, we have, we would like to invite Lena to Spotlight as an organization that's doing some privacy awareness work or um you know that maybe has done some work to enlighten um the users or just basically some good privacy awareness work um so lena do you mind sharing maybe one or two or just you know letting us into yeah um yeah okay so first of all of course i'll just talk a little bit about um I've already talked a little bit about the uh, Nigeria Data Protection Bureau. We're still new. We're a government agency. We're trying to push for um, general privacy week awareness, privacy awareness. See how privacy week just comes to my head. Um, I mean, privacy. (laughs) Yeah. We're trying to push for just privacy, um, data protection and privacy awarenesses and try to get people to implement that into their organizations and then also try to regulate the big techs that are already operating within our country. Um, and, you know, try and see how to, you know, manage those sorts of relationships. Um, I know if if anyone is interested, they can always take a look at us on, we're on all the social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, et cetera, um, NDPB um, Nigeria. So NDPB Nigeria on all these social media platforms. Um, another organization I'd love to talk about is, um, which is funny enough, something I just came up, I came across them recently while organizing Privacy Week. Um, they're called Cyber Safe Foundation. Um, I think they're oh, called Cy- yes, 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 yes. Yeah, I think they're called Cyber Safe HQ on Instagram, and I was so impressed. And I saw that the the person, not that I'm biased, but the fact that it was a woman that was the CEO, I was like, yes, yes. Um, I thought I think it was it's such an interesting yes. space. Women yeah. in cyber security. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's just just a side note to that as well. Anytime I'm in, I'm attending any event or like work event, I always look around the room and I see like very few women. There are always more men there. So whenever I see that like the woman mm-hmm. the woman is the one even in charge, I'm like, yes, <laughs> girl power. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, but so yeah, the the CEO is called Confidence Um Stavely. Savly, Savly, I'm not sure how to, if I'm pronouncing yeah. that correctly. Yeah. So she's, um, she's yeah, also, I think it's Savly, uh-huh. maybe. Savly, uh huh. So she's, she's going to even be one of the panelists for our, um, uh, one of our events. Um, that's going to be on the 30th of January. And so she's going to be a panelist there. We had to get her on when we found out, when we saw everything that she was doing. And we're like, yep, this is definitely someone we want to be working with. Um, so yeah, so she's yeah. there. She runs a, an NGO on just trying to raise awareness on privacy and um, protection. She has the, the what I like about them is they simplify everything. And so sometimes you just see like basic things like set up your two-factor authentication everywhere. And then in some other videos, mm-hmm. they make all these little short clips of like, or should I call? I think I'll say skits 
of just like yeah ah, like tick- tiktoks basically yes exactly <laughs> tiktoks of just them you know some, some people at their office just like simplifying data protection and privacy and i think that's very interesting i think they've come a long way and i really like their instagram page as well <laughs> as a side note but yeah the cybersafe foundation is definitely doing amazing work um yeah but, do you know they also have like the cyber girls is basically another thing they do where they basically try to empower more girls to which to, is yeah, quite nice what we're discussing empower yeah. more girls to have skills yes yeah, so they basically give you um cyber security training for free mm-hmm. and it's like a nine months long um yeah intensive course and you course, end yeah. up with like being able to like you, you can choose your path it's just amazing work that she's doing amazing work that yeah she's doing. um yeah okay thank you so much for spotlighting Nina. um i You're think welcome. that we would then like to ask you to give us one privacy myth that you think going to privacy awareness week if there's something we should all be focusing on kicking out of, you know, existence, mm-hmm. it should be this mm-hmm. one thing. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> what That's is that sweet. one thing for you? I think, um, I think one thing that people usually think is that, for example, when you use your browser um, and you go into incognito mode or like private mode, you just assume that <laughs> that means that you're actually people don't have access to your information anymore. And I think that's very, very dangerous. Mm. And it's, in fact, to me, like going on incognito mode, it just, it's just to a certain extent. So you're only, it only stops your data to a certain extent, but still things like your browsing history and like downloaded cookies and so on are still being kept on your device and are still being, can still be seen by mm. um, the, uh, by, by the browser and also by yeah, your, Yes, yeah. parties, and also by the service service providers as well. So I think it's important that people know that just because you're on incognito mode or in private mode doesn't really mean that your data cannot be accessed at all. It doesn't. It's still there. In fact, I mean, the internet is just, and that's one of the dangers of the internet is that once you decide to partake or be a part of being on the internet, you're there for it's whatever is on the internet is, can stay on the internet for years to come. And I think that's one of the more dangerous things that come out of you know um digital this new digital sphere that we're getting into so yeah i think that would be yeah. my own myth that people need to be aware so that this is literally the thing the internet never forgets um so actually because i think this might be a good point for us to sort of go into so we have this new segment where we're starting on the podcast where we're giving people free gifts and basically in this segment we're recommending a privacy tool um on this particular episode, our recommended privacy tool is um, Backlight. So private Backlight is a privacy inspection tool that allows you to scan any website to find out um, what specific tracking technologies are being used on that site. This means that you can get you can know who's getting your data every single time you visit a website. Um, it tells you if there are any advertisements, trackers, or you're trying to gather cookies to serve um, you more targeted advertisements. Um, if there are any cookies that will evade your browser cookie blocker, you know those cookie blockers that we think, oh, that's perfect. And there's some browse, there's some cookies that can evade those blockers. Also, if there are any key login trackers, um, a key login tracker is basically a tracker that captures any text that you type into a page before you submit an online form. So sometimes when you're entering in your passwords, there are any of those kind of trackers that basically log whatever keys you're typing on the key- on the keyboard. 
it will tell you that also basically it helps you to minimize your digital footprints by literally forewarning you so you know what exactly you're getting onto when you're signing onto it or accessing the website or yeah mm-hmm. so i actually recommend you know to our listeners please you know some for some of your favorite websites put it on backlight see what um tracking technologies are used on those websites and please share your results across our social media platforms feel free to tag us in whatever you share but we'll definitely put a link to backlight in our description for the podcast so you can go have a look and try it out for yourself it's like a fun little activity i actually tried it with a website called jumia jumia is basically an e-commerce platform in nigeria and to be honest i wasn't surprised but then i think i wasn't surprised because i'm a privacy person (laughs) so i I expect i expect i expect um i expect these things to, to to happen so i i know what i'm expecting to see um there are no surprises okay to our main conversation for today which i think lena we're very excited about especially in light of privacy week (laughs) um so basically on this particular episode we want to discuss like i said your data matters and data matters basically and i feel like this is our opportunity to really demystify understanding of data what it means, what can be done with it, and how to take personal security measures. I feel like a lot of times when people talk about um, you know, protecting your data and stuff, it's usually spoken about at a cybersecurity level. So like companies basically make sure that you know you can't be hacked, put your defenses in place. But what personal security measures or what personal data protection measures can individuals take to ensure that they can protect themselves so if we're in this world where we feel like our data is spinning out of control like everybody's doing everything this and that is happening what can we do to basically protect ourselves you know so we don't feel lost and i think lena let's start from maybe the part where we demystify data so lena can you tell us can you help our listeners understand what is personal data what is it why are we sensitive about it what is important about it? It's just demystify mm-hmm. it as best as you can. Well, personal data just means any any sort of um, information that is identifiable to a certain person. So it ha- if it has any form of identification, it's it simply just means if it can if if it can if you see um uh, for example an email address right and within that email address it says okay maybe Lena Abba at so that's referring to a very specific thing. It's referring to a specific person, and that just makes it personal data because it's it's I, one person can be identified by that email address, right? Um, or name, hmm. or um, bank information, or your BVN, or your your which is a bank hmm. verification number, yeah, or your national identification hmm. number. So these are all examples of um, personal data. Um, Okay, maybe I'll ask this later on. I just wanted to know what your opinion would be on bank information and whether you think that would be considered personal data or sensitive personal data. But I don't know if we should talk about this later. I mean, let's get into it. Let's get into it. So um, whether I think bank information is sensitive personal data. So with personal data, everything is to a degree. Um, even something as simple as salary information. I think they call it, there's, a, there's something called, I think, is it K-anonymity? So that's the degree mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. from the degree to which the data is not identifiable. identifiable. That's basically mm-hmm. the idea. So exactly. So if you say X earns fifty million pounds, and X and you know X works at at the bureau, for example, mm-hmm. you can identify X 
Although many mm-hmm. people work at the bureau and many people could earn 50 million pounds, but when you have those two pieces of information together, there can't be many people who earn 50 million pounds at the bureau. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So everything, whether your the money that is going in and out of your car, your spending trends, everything is literally at this point that we are in this digital age with AI and all sorts of data processing information and data analysis information uh, data analysis systems and all sorts every almost everything is personally identified uh, identifiable data everything i think for me just depends on context i think you know you have to take the information so is it banking information like someone spending patterns i mean i think a lot of people don't even understand that you know when you when you go to stores and they tell you to sign up for the app to shop mm. online or they give you a membership card they're not doing that because you know they just want to give you free money no the idea is they mm-hmm. want to see what people's what people are what people like buying maybe sometimes it's not necessarily directed to doing something to you but they're using that information to improve their services to make sure that they can give you more things that you like or more things that people buy or make sure that they have enough quantity so if they know 100 million toilet rolls are being bought every month they will make sure they have 100 million and some right so every single thing is almost personal so when you say banking information so something like your card information is it personally identifiable information yeah because mm-hmm. in most contexts where you would have someone's bank information it would be something that like you know if you have someone's card if you have a photo of someone's card many bank cards have your name at the bottom of it yeah if you have just their long number that long number in the right context, who has it? Is it somebody in pub, in the public or is it somebody at the bank? Because at the bank, the long number, if you type in the long number into their systems, I'm sure you can actually find out whose account that long number belongs to. So everything, depending on context, I think it is personally identifiable data. But tell us, Lena, what do you feel about that? Are you on the side of if financial information or banking information is personally identifiable data or not? Um, yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I definitely think it's personal identifiable data. I to, personally, I think it should be considered as, um, so I did, I, I noticed that a couple of um, resources don't re- regard financial information as sensitive personal data and a couple. I think that's the conversation that I Yeah, yes, yeah and then a couple yeah. others do. Yeah, and a couple others do um, recognize it as um, sensitive personal data. For me personally, I think that if someone has access to your statement of accounts alone, that is that is all. Financial information is so key because <laughs> everything, because everything. If you think about it, everything you do basically reflects on your statements of accounts. For example, especially right? in so, the cashless economy, as as what we're trying to do ex- globally. Exactly, yeah. exactly, exactly. And I, I mean, Nigeria too is trying to push to have that cashless economy as well. So you can find out where a person works. You know, if you have access to that, just having access to their BVN, you could find out where the person works. You can find out where the person lives. You can find out who the person is spending money on. You can find out, you know, it's like, it's really, really serious. So for me, personally, I just think it would be considered sensitive personal data. But that was just something that I, I've been thinking about for a while now. And I was wondering why it was considered just personal data, not sensitive. But then, but yeah. So just to, let me, for the listeners who maybe are unfamiliar with the concept of sensitive personal data as distinguished from regular personal data, sensitive personal mm-hmm. data is basically data that um, has been designated for some special protection. 
um, because of the potential impacts that um, processing it could have. So you cannot process it. You cannot just use person those kind of data anyhow. For example, and you can't you can't use it anyhow. If you're using, you have to take extreme make sure that you're being extremely careful to make sure it's properly secured. Like it requires another level. So yes, personal data should be protected, but sensitive personal data because of the potential impact that could result from you know disclosure of such information or any wrongful processing of such information, you would need to you know sort of um make sure the extra care has been taken when it's being processed. Now, I think with financial information as well, you know, Lena, this, this, so the, 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 I think the part, the reason why the argument even exists, whether it should or shouldn't be is that, you know, I mean, people think what's, what's harmful um, when you, when, what's, what's to, what's the problem with somebody knowing how much you earn, you know, or what's the problem with someone knowing you took a loan out. But I think that if you think about it, when you transfer that out of so as so for example one of the things that you know are you know considered sensitive personal data is something like you know your health data right lena any other examples mm-hmm. that you can think of offhand mm-hmm. uh, your, um your political opinions your religious beliefs exactly your eth- mm-hmm. exactly. political opinions as well exactly. yeah. yeah genetic exactly. so data your, gender, your sexuality your mm-hmm. so those things are considered sensitive because anybody that has access to that kind of information could potentially in one way or the other, use it to sort of pull some strings with you, right? Mm-hmm. But I think mm-hmm. even when you think financial data as well, <laughs> so you know someone is 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 you know someone has taken a loan out. You know that maybe they've defaulted on paying back the loan. There, there's so much, mm-hmm. there's so much that could be done, and it mm-hmm. could be potentially damaging to people's exactly to people's characters, and you know it could be damaging in so many ways. So I think actually. Mm-hmm. I think it's yeah. one of those ones where you know the argument will persist, you know. Yeah. But I think you know we we in terms of actual, so I think what the the sort of midpoint has been has been there's this position where like people say it's not sensitive or special category data, but it is data that is so sensitive that when you're considering the impact of it, you need to consider it as one that is highly impactful. So when you're doing an assessment of it, your mitigation for the risks that could mm. result is one that you know has to be so that's i think the balance that we sort of taking because well mm-hmm. you can say it's not as definitely not as sensitive as have somebody having a bbn number mm. yeah so it's just like yeah. finding that there's a there's a i don't a know there's, there's a point but i think the world is constantly evolving so we'll see where we go in the next few years where we go <laughs> exactly 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 and another thing is i when you were talking about salaries um i was just thinking about how weird nigerians usually are about um about their salaries and like their financial information and i think maybe that's why i think that this is considered sensitive personal data because in nigeria it's not it's not it's you can't even even when you're trying to get a job and you ask them for your like how much you're going to be paid that could be an issue on its own like it's not we don't have that sort of transparency when it comes to financial information so i guess again that's why i thought it would be sensitive but yeah Yeah. sensitive i mean to be honest i think this is very interesting also because um, when you then start thinking about financial information in that context, you, you like you sort of see it's like societal as well. What is considered sensitive, and I think this mm-hmm. is the approach the data protection laws are taking globally in the sense that we need to start considering local contexts to these issues. Um, so yeah, what exactly. what is categorized? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I think I was we were doing a recording recently with someone, and they mentioned that there's a country that actually says your 
is it your your lineage data or your your surname or your family your family um your family's uh, uh what do you call it your basically your family's data is in, it, about your your surname and your family affiliation that that's sensitive personal data well i guess mm-hmm. there's a context that a local context that should be appreciated so i, I mm-hmm. think these things are you know very contextually locally but then you know something yeah. that also trips me about financial information is if we say it's sensitive data i think it would then be difficult to police especially for us as women police pay biases do you do you, mm-hmm. do you not think that might become a thing where it will be difficult to sort of police um inequality in payments Ah, oh, okay, yes. I get what you're saying. Yeah. So, yeah. It's but do we tricky. have inequality? But do we have inequality in payments in, in, in Nigeria? I don't think... I think so. Do we? Like, okay. do you mean as a thing that's... I think that's more like a Western... as a thing that... No, I know. No, no. Of inequality. course, I know we have inequality biases in the country. Obviously, no, no. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> what I mean is just that in terms of... <laughs> in terms of pay... Like I think I don't think we have that. Funny enough, I I I genuinely think that it's it's more of a Western bias where women are paid less than men over here. I think, for example, if you're working in the government, you're all going to be paid the same salary, no matter what you're doing. If it's the same job, you're being. Do you understand? And I don't know about the private sector. I think sector, that inequality. I, yeah, I get it. I think it's a private sector concept, even in the West, because if you think yeah. about it, even in 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 when you think about, you know the. I think Nigeria is such a. I would find it difficult to believe that it didn't exist because Nigeria is such a, a patriarchal society, um, and so I think that there might be that. I don't know. I, I mean, I don't have the stats, so I can't really speak on it. But you know, it's one that I, I would be impressed for it not to exist because, and I don't think that Westerners by any chance. I don't think that it's because mm-hmm. they're better or whatnot. But I just think that because mm-hmm. we're such a, a um. Where patriarchal societies were very good degree, especially when it comes to career and profession, that I I don't mm. know that I would, I don't I, I I I don't know. I to be honest, I wonder if that's a thing. But I mean, that's another context to to Wait, sort of yeah. into this because mm-hmm. if we don't have that, then there should be no challenge to sort of having um um, um financial data sensitive personal information. There's mm-hmm. no obstacle, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. this this has been a very interesting conversation so far, Lena. Thank you for that question. I think you know you you really gave us something to sort of kick up the the to to to, to, to tempo the blood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> to kick up the tempo um, as we start this episode. I also I think so. I mean, it seems like today everyone wants your name, your email address, you know, you know, everybody just wants something from you. You can't basically you cannot do anything on the internet without somebody collecting some form of data about you. I think that is something that we should actually even talk about. It's almost mm-hmm. impossible right now to use the internet without data being collected. I, I don't think it's possible. Mm-hmm. I, maybe if you use some special type of browsers, I don't think it's actually possible. For you to I don't. It's not. I don't think it's possible. That's why no. Because definitely, between the I don't tracking technology. Yeah, between the tracking technologies and the things that actually just ask you to provide your name and your information, mm-hmm. there's no space. Yeah, 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 because yeah. you're always being tracked. 
because I mean, for and, security purposes as well, websites are tracking. Yeah, exactly. And and that's and other than the security purposes, that's why a lot of businesses are even thriving. It's because they're collecting our information. It's as simple. It's as simple as that. It makes our life easier. It makes their life easier. You know, we just all kind of just accept it because we're like, well, you know, <laughs> I can go on Instagram and buy whatever I need to buy without actually having to leave my house, or I can go on Jumia and just yeah. buy whatever. So you know, so it's it's it's. It's a, it's a tricky one. And I'm enjoying one, the Netflix's uh, suggested suggestions for me. It's literally just what I want to watch. You know? And YouTube I, I like as well. When, <laughs> and YouTube, exactly. When they're giving me, the, you know, those things. So, like, there are, there are, I guess you could say, and you've identified, like, you mentioned necessities, yes, security. But there are also socially advantageous reasons why we want data to be processed and collected. One of them being, as you said, you know, we, we like to be, we like to, we like services tailored to us as, as human beings. We want to have personalized services. You want to log into your bank and see hi Yitembe or hi Lena. You want to you want you want that personalization. Um, you want Netflix to know that you paused your movie at twenty minutes thirty seconds and to bring you back right there when you're coming back into the app. We like those things. So definitely, there's going to be data collection going on, right? But I think mm-hmm. that I think what we want to ask is. Are they the good guys? The people collecting all these data, people that are constantly seeking to, you know, um, you know, collect our data, know our information. Are they the good guys? Are we? Are we? Are, we, are they the good guys? Is it, so, are they or are they bad guys? I think, or is it the middle? <laughs> I think I I don't think that they're the good guys because I don't think they're collecting our data to make things like they're they're not necessarily doing it because they care about how we are faring as as consumers or they're doing these things because if they make life easier for us we will keep going back to them so it's as simple as that so i wouldn't say that the people collecting data i think the only in the only the only way i would find a um, collection of data um where i would see people collecting data as the good guys good guys is if they're trying to do it for like a public um for like for a reason that it's going to benefit everyone and so for example i was reading a report um a world bank report and they said that the use of data the use of and, co- and collection of data has helped simplify a lot of processes for them to be able to you know dish uh, give out aid to certain areas right so they they were able to identify for example that like oh these people are living in um be, these people are suffering from um, a drought that has taken over the whole um, their society in general, and so they they what they do is they they target those set, set of people and say, okay, this is what they're going through. This is what what the kind of aid they need. This is the kind of development that they need, and then they provide that for them. And even then, it could still be questioned and say, okay, but then what do you do after you provide that aid? What are you, what do you still do with the data? How are you storing the data? How is it being um, um, deleted, erased, etc.? Those questions could still come up. But I think that would be the only point where I would think that, oh, okay, data can actually be used for good. And it is being used for good. A lot of NGOs, a lot of, you know, UNHCR, um, uh, the United Nations just in general, they provide a lot of um, support to people using this sort of, um, using data, basically. It's as simple as that. Um, So, yeah. So I think that's what I would say. I don't, but I think in terms of like consumerism and you know the whole world of like 
marketing and advertising and the big techs as well. I do not think that they're collecting our data for our own good. I don't think they're the good guys. I think they're trying to grow. And I think we are just helping them grow because they're making our lives easier as well. Um, so unless we decide to stop using these services, I don't see how we're going to, you know, um, really control um, the use of data and so on. So, so because what I hear you say is they're not exactly you can't say good guys, but we can't say bad guys either because there is some there's a there's just that little bit in the middle where yes they're collecting the data and it's making them a lot of money, but they're doing things and giving us services that sort of you know also excite us and you know things that we're thrilled about. And I think that that's what you're like basically aiming at. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they're not bad. Mm-hmm. I guess I guess so. They're in between. But, you know, someone in my office always says that for him, for he doesn't use social media. Uh, he doesn't use social media whenever he goes on sites where they ask him to um, click on cookies. He doesn't do that. He doesn't use um, bank transfer, um, the whole app. He doesn't transfer his money through. He goes to the bank and everything. And I was and I was saying to myself, I was thinking to myself, and I've even met someone that doesn't use WhatsApp. He only uses Telegram and he's not on any. He has no social media presence at all. And so I guess there is a way if you do not want to be part of the world, you can just sort of just live in your own bubble and just <laughs> and just kind but of you know live in your own bubble. You, how far is that bubble gonna take you? It doesn't. So this is the thing. I think so. The, I think that's one of the things that I'm hoping we get to on the podcast today. Even when you you take out all the stuff, you you haven't stopped the processing of your data. Mm-hmm. It's actually mm-hmm. almost impossible. And there's so many things you deny yourself. So, for example, if you go on a web- on website, I think something that people don't understand as well about cookies is they're actually different types. So there's some cookies that are actually functional cookies. So they, functional, the website yeah. functionality, all the things that like are moving, the things that are flying, all the exciting buttons, you know, things that are spinning up and down, those things are powered by those cookies. Those The, the, the thing that enables those things to work properly is the cookies, their functional mm-hmm. functionality cookies. So there's some websites that if you even reject or if you press the reject all cookies um buttons, you can't access any you can't access the website. So mm-hmm. like you would constantly be faced with this challenge of even when you need essential things where you're battling against the necessity of you doing things and the fact that cookies are gonna you know, cookie themselves and they're gonna collect things about you. So I think one of the things that I'm we're gonna get onto on podcast later on, just slightly later on, are just tips about how to sort of take those personal security or privacy, like kind of give a very good level of enlightenment as to okay, what exactly are the practical steps that you know you want to be engaged in the digital economy, the global digital village, you know, and digitalization, but you also want to reduce your sort of digital footprint. So what what is the what do we do and what kind of things can you can you implement? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think one thing I also want to talk about as well is just the line of awareness. I feel like we need this episode is an awareness episode, so you know we just need to talk a little bit about it. So someone recently asked me about how this why there's such a huge fuss about data protection in recent times. In his words, I just don't get it. Isn't data? Isn't it just data? Should it? Shouldn't it be used? Have we? Have you ever gotten any of these kind of questions? And how would you typically answer it? Hmm. I mean, yes, it it should be used. Um, I think the use of data has provided a lot of good to the world as well. 
Um, we've talked about that just, you know, just before this. Um, but then why is, there, why is it such a big fuss? Is because the more we're, we transform into a digital world, the more we have hackers, the more we have, um, you know, we, we're also turning, it can, everything, everything in this world can be used for good or for bad, right? And so there is always an advantage and a disadvantage. And so the more we grow, the more we're putting out a lot of information about ourselves just to general mem members of the public. So you have, you have all these things about yourself. People, people can use information that you put online for against you they can use these things against you they can, it can put you into harm's way it can put you in danger and everything and so it's very important it can put a whole country in danger as well if people have access to data that they're not supposed to but it's not in a way that we're trying to hinder um you know development it's not it's not like that it's just more of we're trying to protect you're trying to protect the safety of citizens um of nigerian citizens themselves as well so that's why i think the world and not just nigerian citizens i mean all over the world um protection of data protection is it's a big big thing especially in, in the eu um especially with the gdpr and so i think i think it's there it's it's coming up for a reason all these things are coming up for a reason and i think the more the world transforms the more we need um to continue to find ways to protect um, ourselves as well online. I mean, this is this is perfect. We we actually are going to run through a couple of scenarios, um, Lena. And I think that the mm -hmm. idea is that we want to sort of go what's going on behind the scenes when these things happen. So we're going to take go through some some things that people consider personal experiences that we really hope some of our listeners can relate to. Then we're going to go mm -hmm. behind the scenes to say, okay, so what, what happened? How did this become the result that the user or the, the person has experienced? And what can they do to protect themselves from these kind of situations in future? Mm -hmm. um, so, first scenario that we're going to look at. Um, so, I'm reading the scenario. So, I received a phone call from someone claiming to be from my bank. They provided me with a lot of information that only my bank will know. And they're asking me to provide a code that just that has just been sent to my phone from the that's just been sent to my phone from the bank. I provided the code and realized that all my money on the all the money in my account has been stolen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I actually know someone who this scenario happened to. Um, Me too. This is literally one of the worst things that could happen. I swear. Delina, so what, what what what's going on behind the scenes here? So I met I do, I know more than one person that this thing has happened to, and I'm always thinking to myself, why, why did you like? But then the thing is, people just don't know, I guess. But I think because maybe not even because I'm in the privacy space. Even before then, I'm just a little bit paranoid about things like this, so I don't really. I'm not. I'm never eager to share information. The bank people can, even if it's actually from the bank. They can get angry if they want to get angry that's their business but like i'm never like in a rush to just give you my personal financial information especially um but the issue is you need to people need to understand that banks especially they're very careful with the kind of things that they collect uh, the kind of data that they collect and and they're because they're one of the most regulated sectors they're very careful with um so they have all these data they use all these sort of data protection tools 
because they need to be very careful because of the kind of information they're collecting, right? So even now, like when I updated my my app, my bank app, I noticed that they had changed the, the way the numbers are set for, for you to type in your code for you to even get into your app. It has been, you know, changed around a little bit so that if someone is looking behind, they won't really know if they're just trying to memorize based on mm. how it's one, two, three, four, five, six. So they scatter that around and it's now like one, five. So even for me, like I, it takes me a long time for me to be able to, you know, pick out the number in your numbers. Yeah, exactly. And so banks are putting a lot of um, data protection tools and privacy tools in place. And I think people need to acknowledge um, the efforts that they're making as well. Um, so you need to understand. And they always send messages like do not ever um, we will never ask you for your code we will never ask you for so it's very important for people to just understand things like this and just know that never give out information that unless you're a hundred percent sure of the of who is requesting the information and even then you should always take the extra step and if you receive that sort of message you can just stop by a bank your bank and just show, show them the message and see show them that oh this is what i received should i go ahead with this request or or not um it's very important that you take that extra step because nobody want nobody this is some one of the worst things that could happen to you your accounts being emptied and so and so yeah so i definitely think that it's just we need to learn to also take the extra step um i think people citizens need to now also take that responsibility upon themselves because you're this is for you it's not just the bank's responsibility yeah. you need to also learn how to protect yourself and and the ways you can do that is just by simply not giving out information that is not requested um a lot of the time you receive messages from banks saying do not um you for example you you say this they'll be like this bank will never ask you for your pin never give this bank or never share your OTP with anyone else. Never, you know, so you receive these messages. So just because of someone calls you saying that, Oh, I'm from this bank. I want, and it has happened. I've, I've, I've witnessed this sort of thing several times. Um, there was a time that a bank just called um, a supposed bank. I'm doing air quotations for the listeners, but like, (laughs) yeah, but a bank just called. um, I remember one of my cousins, we were sitting down and she just put on on speaker and he was like, oh, we're about to close your account. If you don't send this number, we have to fix. And this is how they get people because it's like, you get so worried. Oh, anything about banks, people just generally are just so like, you know, very anxious about it. There's a lot of anxiety around financial, yeah. your financials. So that's how they trick you. They just, they come on and they, they tell you all these things like, Oh, we're going to do this. We're going to, we're going to close your account if you don't. And she, she just hung up and the guy kept calling and he kept calling. And she was like, look, please. I, I know you're not, you're not, um, this is bank. I know you're just trying to do this. And then the person just hung up the phone and I was like, you see, it's so simple. Sometimes just ignore them to be honest, just don't engage them. And if you really want to be sure, or you're afraid of something, just quickly stop by a bank you know um i was going to say send an email but some banks are not always very good with responding to emails so just like quickly yeah (laughs) yeah i know i know so i mean quickly just go through go stop by a bank and just go stop at their customer care and say this is what i've received and should i but don't please 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 do not share nobody nobody is going to be asking you for that kind of no reasonable bank is going to be asking you for this kind of information like your otp or and your your um passcode or your pin or how much money you have in your account no it's just it's not something that's common so yeah 
I think also something I think something that also goes on behind the scenes as well is the fact that so sometimes um banks actually so the reason why hackers or scammers can access that your information in the first place is because sometimes um banks themselves have maybe had breaches security breaches and I think that sometimes in these types of situation as a data subject or as a person who has given your information to the bank um these are the sorts of scenarios where you can also actually report to the bureau right right Lena yeah yeah um that's an interesting angle as well that i didn't um i forgot to mention as a regulator i don't know what how but um but yeah so it <laughs> is <laughs> it is in the in a lot of instances we've had so many complaints of um people saying oh this bank just created an account um without my permission or sometimes you see that um there there's been some form of data breach and we the data breach wasn't reported to us as a reg- regulator within you know you're supposed to report it to breach within 72 hours and that's the data controllers sometimes just skip that process yeah. until that's so bad and it's on the news and everyone exactly. is talking about it and that's when you were like okay let's go and start investigating into that and see um, what happened there and the amount of data that was lost and and so on and so i think banks do have their lapses of they do in some um situations also allow for data breaches to happen um and and when that happens and that sort of information is already out in the public that already puts a lot of people in danger um so yes definitely banks should uh, not banks sorry data subjects are definitely um supposed to file in um send in a complaint um to info at ndpb.ng and you provide all sorts of you just you put in all the details and just filing a complaint and then we have an investigation team and we also have a police um enforcement team as well and so that they will carry on the investigation and you know call in the bank and and and, and so on so yeah yeah i mean this is so this is important this is very important information you can actually report i think another angle to this particular scenario i also want to look at is also the angle of um so you shouldn't provide any information over the phone right but sometimes these things are like oh you get an email that looks exactly like your bank statement um and and then they tell you to click a link and then they tell you to put it go put in like your um details. your your they tell you to go and put in your details and this is the thing i think sometimes the you know we could also take this from the angle of you know putting in your link but you've already mentioned don't provide your information when you don't trust the website when you don't trust the information when you're not convinced but i think there's also an element of when you're using a particular email for banking information for all sorts of things all sorts of websites you're putting it everywhere they say free come and get a free promo when you come and get a free this you're putting in your information you have to be cautious about the kind of quality of information that comes into that email I think that's another personal like tip mm. you can also take in the sense that mm. you know mm. be careful some people actually choose to use a different phone number a different email for their banking or fin- for anything important and then they use a different one for you know this website tells you to sign on to for sign up for mm. the newsletter so you can get 20% off you just put that that other mm. email in so mm. I think that's another tip that I personally think that you know you can take as a data subject as well sort of encourage or sorry to sort of make sure that at least you put it sort of a gap even in terms of mm. financial information i have people who actually have different cards for buying things online separate from 
a card that they use to sort of um that they put the bulk of their money on yep. or even shopping mm-hmm. at POS mm-hmm. machines or sorts, things like that so those are like you want <clears throat> sometimes it's not just about like you also want to try and put in stop gaps as well i guess between you know what your act what things are the sort of data that you use or things like email phone numbers that you use for important stuff and the stuff that you just give out to anybody um um you know so you so you don't get overwhelmed 100 yeah yeah I was just going to say, based on what you've just said, um, so these are ways that you can still stay a part of the digital world without actually having to not be put yourself on the internet. So just the card example that you gave, for example, if you have a specific card where you're just putting like very little, maybe let's say you put 10,000 and you use that card to just, yeah. whenever you want to buy something, you sort of use that card or you put you save that card on AliExpress or Jumia or whatever. Um, I mean, I would always advise not to save your card on any website, but then just in case you do if even if someone (laughs) hacks your account and has access to that that particular um card it wouldn't really do much to you because you already you know you've already put in certain like you call them stop gaps before you've made any um process so yeah definitely agree with that yeah, I, the 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 financial information stuff I think is one that's very prominent for us in Nigeria, um, where your banking details and just being extremely cautious really is very important. Um, as you said, uh, okay. So next 100%. scenario, I keep receiving broadcast messages from an Instagram vendor who I'm whom I prote- whom I purchased an item from once. Um, many times the messages have nothing to do with their products. I keep receiving messages advertising some of their church events. Some messages that are prompting me to reshare if i want to be blessed so (laughs) i think this one is one that i personally had experience with where like someone's sending you messages if you love you know if you love this (laughs) we share this hundred times if you want to be blessed we share this one million times i hate those kind of messages it's so annoying <laughs> because you know it's I you know well to be fair I mean we're we're living in a society or in a world where people are of different backgrounds and faiths and beliefs and so when you put stuff like that out it's very it can be very tricky sometimes but I think that that's also the power mm-hmm. of personal data right Lena because we're trying to look at what's going on behind the scenes here should the vendor be doing this what if, why what, what's going on behind the scenes yeah so definitely no your vendor the vendor is not supposed to do so the purpose so the purpose that okay so this is first of all against the um, uh, purpose limitation right so the vendor collected your data for a very particular purpose one of the principles of um, of both gdpr and the ndpr and so your vendor your vendor the vendor collected your details for a very for for a specific purpose, you came in, you wanted to, you know, purchase a, a particular thing, and then they end up they ended up using that same data against you without your consent, and they they started to share other things. Um, sometimes you get um, you you know you usually have like a tick box when you buy something online, and they say, do you want to subscribe mm-hmm. to our newsletter so that you continue get to yeah. promos and whatever but then in this case in this scenario that you gave there was nothing like that um no permissions were given to continue to share and then you've even the person has even switched the instagram vendor has switched from selling bags and shoes to preaching to you about <laughs> god so, so like it's like two completely different things and it's not something you you 
you know you gave permission to do so i think um automatically that's that's a big no um you should be able to the only thing that i would now say is how do you stop instagram vendors like you can send in a message and say please i would like to stop receiving it's within your right to do so right um you um, send in mm -hmm. a message and say please i'd like to stop receiving these messages but if they don't comply with that that is where you know it gets a little bit techy it, it does i think so in this scenario i think this is one of those ones where i mean the conversation really i mean the the, the, I mean, the easy thing to do be maybe block them that's that's the one thing you can do that's but i think way. in this particular scenario let's look at talking about like the vendors themselves i'm a vendor what and what shouldn't i be doing with the customer's information like you've mentioned one rightly by saying mm -hmm. that you know purpose imitation if you collected their number to make sure that they received their delivery best be just that to make sure that they received their delivery not to give them ads for other things not to not to not to um give them ads for other things not to send them broadcast messages about your church program or your your or whatever event that it is that you want them to attend not to, to yeah, things like that right but i think so what other mm -hmm. things can a vendor supposed to be aware of like in terms of using their customers information so once you collect the data and you've done whatever it is you need to do to provide that service to that particular customer, the easiest thing is to just erase that information. It should no longer be um, with you unless in the case of returning customers where you just want to make the whole process easier for them and so on. Um, but then another thing is also yeah. data minimization as well. So you should try and minimize the amount of the the kind of data you're even collecting in the first place right so that data minimization is also another yeah. principle of the ND, um, ndpr and the gdpr um you should minimize the amount of um, the kind of data you're collecting so if you're your your business that you're selling just bags and shoes what would you need you would not need somebody's health data or even their bank information or anything the only thing you would need would literally be an address so as a vendor yourself to protect your own brand and the name of your company just avoid taking hmm. information that you don't really need from people and then also avoid exactly. using their data in ways that it's not supposed to be used, you know, in the first place. And yeah, so that's, that's what hmm. I think I would suggest. Um, don't do I it. I think one that really freaks me out with vendors as well is like when you send them your, your address, like they always have your address. So if someone hacks their WhatsApp or, you know, hacks their social that's media about it. or hacks... That person has access to loads of addresses. So it's yeah. actually, and they could, if they start a rubbing spree, they could think that the vendor actually gave that information if they notice there's a consistent pattern with, with pattern. Um, the houses that are being robbed or whatnot. So yeah, this and, is something and, that, you know, mm -hmm. actually when you think about it, it's, it's advantageous to the vendor. It's actually, if you think about it in a deeper sense, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. I'm, now mean, that I'm even thinking, of like, now that you said it, to, I was just going to say that now that you've even said that, I'm just thinking about like the Instagram vendors I, I you know, I regularly patronize and how they just sort of know, like immediately I send the money for whatever good I'm buying. They just, immediately <laughs> I like sometimes I get a delivery call, just be like, oh, my, my madame sends me from this, 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 I'm bringing this, this, this. And I'm like, oh, okay, wow. And for me, and for me, I never complain because it's so effective. I'm just like, oh, okay, cool. Like, you know, but now that I'm thinking about it, so that just means that some person somewhere 
just has access to where I live and, you know, can do whatever they want with that information. And, and it's quite scary because was, she obviously exactly. didn't delete it. Yeah, she obviously didn't delete it because she knows I'll come back and it just makes it easier. Unless I request for it to be mm. deleted and I'm saying I'm no longer going to be your customer, you know, so, so yeah. Mm-hmm. But then I feel like there should also be the opportunity to actually say, you know, you've mentioned rightly, like customers should be able to say, please delete this message. I don't, please delete it. Or even you can unsend it on Instagram. I think you can unsend a message. And yeah, you can. Also you can. Delete yeah, you can. 100%. On WhatsApp as well. So those are options. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like those are things you can do. Mm-hmm. But I think even for vendors, mm-hmm. I think it's only professional and it's only right for your sake that you actually ask people, would you like for me to keep this information or just for your own peace and ease just delete it <laughs> mm-hmm, just delete mm-hmm. 100%, it 100 percent, 100 percent. yeah i think people don't really think of scenarios where they get hacked as something that you know is potentially threatening to their business but you know <laughs> you mm. want to save yourself this 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 situation where you have to send everybody messages oh sorry we've been hacked if you ah, sorry you <laughs> sorry you <laughs> <laughs> yeah Okay. So there's another one. Um, someone has hacked and taken control of my social media account. They're asking my contacts mm-hmm. for money and demanding a ransom if I want my account back. What's going on? Here? You start by praying to God first, but <laughs> I'm joking. But like, <laughs> but like, in, <laughs> but like, because that's one of the worst things that can happen to you. Imagine having an account for years, especially if you're like a big social media person, and then someone just comes and hacks the account. Where do you even want to start from? Please, God. And it's so interesting that I received exactly. um, someone. Someone had called me yesterday and was asking about that sort, the sort of thing. He had an account for I think 14 years, and it got hacked, and he had difficulties oh, wow. reaching out to the social media platform. And I felt so bad because I was like, oh, I do. Like, how do we, how do you go about something like this? Um, but yeah, so basically hacking, right? What people, what a lot of people don't know, or what people don't really, it's the same way, like the same thing we talked about the banks. You need to be able to make sure that the information, because the way they hack most of the time is that they just impersonate, um, well, not impersonate, but they just um, try to um act as if they're they're the so example if it's instagram they'll just try and send you an email and it will look like it's coming from instagram and you know to have all the details and the little instagram yeah, app so and, um, icon and so on mm. exactly and then they'll be like oh reset your password and then that's how they get uh, or they'll send you for uh, so i was reading online that apparently even for like content creators what they do is um uh, so what they usually do is they they send an email saying um, so wherever you, for content creators you have to post original content to protect yourself not protect so that mm-hmm. instagram so they will flag down content that is not um original content because of copyright laws right yeah. so they people what they yeah. these hackers do they're so smart and they just send you all these emails and say oh we're going to pull down this post because mm. of copyright violations so what you need to do is to mm. bring in this is um you know type in your password type in this log into your account etc and that's how they receive uh, you know they get access to your account and they hack it so i think it's very important wherever even if you're not a content creator and it's just your personal account just always try and make sure who is sending these emails to you even at work sometimes what happens with me is i receive emails because i i work with a lot of um 
um, organizations, international organizations. Yeah, so yeah. I receive a lot of emails that they claim to be from the United Nations or they claim to be from WHO. Um, and then they, they send in these emails saying, oh, this is that. But like whenever I read, so I'll speak about a specific instance. And so when I was reading through an email that apparently was supposed to have come from the United Nations and then there was a spelling error and I was like, hmm, I was like, hi, no way. Why? Why would there be a spelling error in a United Nations email and in an email from the United Nations? And I immediately just ignored it. You know, I ignored it and then I, I sent it. I told um, our uh, cybersecurity team about it just so that they can take a look at it as well, because I'd received a couple of those kind of emails. So yeah. it's always important to just be diligent with the kind of don't be in a rush. Never, ever be in a rush. You can take you can even try and contact Instagram yeah. and see if they had sent an email like that. But if you, if you just take your time to look through the email itself, I'm sure they would have made one or two mistakes. They, they can't get it. It can't yeah. be perfect. Yeah, it can't be per perfect. And so yeah. it's, it's, it, apparently I was reading that Instagram accounts get, get hacked like every 10 minutes, which is, which is crazy. So, so we need yeah. to learn how to, so yeah. And also activate your, yeah, a lot of hacking. We need to learn to activate our two factor authentication or oh, please activate your two-factor like, authentication two authentication to us please can you can you explain it to us on what it means okay so for it's, it's what, um yeah. so usually with two-factor authentication what people do is that uh, what organizations usually do is they have um it use verifies your identity by basically just using one or two factors so the first factor could be okay they would they'll put in they'll ask you to type in your password which is just the regular way and then there will be a second factor um to try and see if it's still the same person and they would add in another for example let me use google so if you sign into your google um account on another device what usually happens is you type in device, you can type yeah. in your password yeah you can type in your password and you be signed into the device but before you before you can do anything else they will send another email to your the original device that you're used to using and say and or they'll send in yeah. a code and say and ask you to type in that code onto the for example if you're using your laptop um they would ask you to type in yeah so quickly just type yes. in the password onto your um your laptop so that you can they can make sure that it's the same person instagram does the same whatsapp as well does the same you can, sometimes just randomly they ask you to type in a code like after like a couple of weeks out of yeah. nowhere you just it pop you receive this pop-up where yeah. you have to type in your um authentication code so yeah very very important please i mean this is very important stuff right so make sure that you have your 2fa settings on i know it seems arduous sometimes and long that you have to authenticate yourself twice to access your account but it's actually the best thing mm -hmm. i think another thing is also password practices i think that's something that we can also talk a bit about um i heard mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. the best way to the best type of passwords to have is a sentence so don't mm. use anything that obviously identifies you your name your phone number your your birthday your 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 whatever don't use anything that is a public information about you as your password that's the first thing um number two don't use um don't use a sentence a sentence is probably the best because it's long enough and it could be any sentence and don't use the same password for multiple platforms mm -hmm. i think those are some of the good password practices mm. that I, I know i don't know are there any that you you wanna, yeah are there any that you want to 
um i mean you've 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 mentioned uh, you always make sure you change your passwords once like try and change it. it's difficult to keep up but if you could change your passwords every mm -hmm. four or five months that would also be good and it's a safer way it's a very safe yep. way for you to keep and then also um so like at work when we register our work emails they make you have you can't so the email the passwords are usually so confusing it's so annoying but at the same time it's like okay they're trying to protect our their information you know the work yeah. information and so on but sometimes you they'll ask you to have like caps lock and then you have numbers and then you have characters like you have they have all these things inside the password so that it's so difficult for whoever's yeah. trying to you know guess your password to, to be able it. to access that yeah. yeah so it's important to yeah, have those kind of passwords and, and yeah, symbols mm. yeah and then symbols and then don't don't use the same password over all your social media that is one of the dumbest things you could do to be honest yeah. um do not use the same yeah. password over across so all your social calls. media exactly it's i mean it'll be yeah. made the job so easy for them literally they just have to just you know <laughs> type in that same password and they have access to your netflix your instagram your facebook you know your twitter everything and so it's always important to change passwords as much as you can as well so yeah yeah i mean something something i wanted to mention earlier especially with two-factor authentication yes you can set a long password a complicated password but i think in the whole thing about brute force attacks so where they they have like um, programs or softwares that basically run different combinations of words, letters, numbers until they actually arrive at something that could be your password, right? So that's why it's important that you, mm. um, you basically, they try different combination of dictionary words. That's why people encourage you to use this sentence. It's also the reason why we encourage you to having two-factor authentication because after the password entering phase, even if they get through the password, they wouldn't be able to get through to your account because you have another system of check of authentication that maybe has to do with your phone number you opening the app yourself and things like that um yeah yeah and that's why these companies mm -hmm. always send you you know those emails that you get someone has signed on to your your um to your account from this location verify that it was you or not you know google does that mm -hmm. so just being very cautious about like you know making sure that it's not just having a good password or making sure that you you know when they ask you to do a password on a website and they're like um so they, they don't accept the password because it doesn't have the capital yes. letter or things like that. It's for yeah. your safety. There's so just the strong password. Yes. So, mm -hmm. so exactly. Make sure that you have a strong password. I think a tip that I would probably suggest as well, maybe something that Lena could also shed some light on, is using a password manager. Mm. So <laughs> password mm -hmm. managers apparently are a good way to sort of because you're having different we've said don't use the same password keep across track. different platforms to keep track exactly and yeah mm. so basically just having a but, password manager but the only thing yeah yeah but the only thing about password manager and i think about this all the time is that how about if somebody hacks into your your password manager and then they have access to all your passwords although with password managers what usually happens is that they ask you to type in a um a code to be able to see that password so it's not like you once you open up your password manager like the list of passwords you can just they're still um they still use some form of um pseudonymization i guess i would call it um 
so you still have all the x x x x x x and then you have to type in your password to be able to see that so there's still some security there's still still some um you know protection around it but i always i don't know it's just a personal thought i always think about if somebody hacks into your password man you have finished <laughs> so the thing is so with, with with password managers you also have to be cautious because you have to be careful of the ones you choose um so what they do mm. is that with password managers they try to make them unlikely to hack and when i say password managers i don't mean apple save your password or you know like the normal ones that come google with save your password um they're actually mm. specific, specific exactly google save your password they're actually specific dedicated platforms that offer these i mean we'll try to link some into the description for this episode um so that people can actually try and maybe go and get themselves um, a password manager if you if you find if you feel like that would mm-hmm. be something that would help you mm-hmm. it's better than writing password in a book or something so yeah that's one way to go about that's it. a horrible idea scenario. don't do it oh, well, we'll come mm-hmm. <laughs> don't write your password down in a book um every mm-hmm. time i go on a website i see the option for cookies and always consent to all cookies because i'm worried if i do not i will not be able to use the website is it okay is it okay to always consent to cookies and what happens if i do not I think we've sort of touched on this. So this is like a rapid, quick answer. Mm, mm. We've already said um, cookies. There's there are different kinds of cookies. Um, you mentioned that they're functional, and then there are the necessary cookies. But you know, when when you get on websites, a lot of the time they give you the, there's like a toggle button that allows you to choose which cookies you want to. Um, which cookies as and these are usually for EU based websites. I don't see this with um websites in like the US and so on, but most EU based websites they give you that option and there are there are usually toggle buttons. So you can pick the kind of cookies you want to allow. Um and then but usually for necessary cookies they keep that you can't necessarily choose whether you don't have that choice to choose whether you want to or not it's usually there but then there are also a, a ton of other cookies so i think be mindful of what you know first of all google what cookies are a lot of people don't know what cookies are that's the first step i think i would say to the general public google what cookies are first and then try and identify which <laughs> exactly <laughs> that's such a dad joke <laughs> Uh, but um but yeah so google what they are and then sort of check check into you know uh, the kind of cookies that you should be um allowing and the ones that you shouldn't and then you know move on from there yeah i think just to sort of help you understand so when you're googling you know what kind of cookies you're looking for cookies are tracking technology so they basically track you across what's a platform so you're not looking for maryland cookies or some other type of american cookies or whatever. yeah <laughs> um i just realized um, that once you okay, type cookies so, obviously the first sorry i just said that i just realized that once you type in cookies the first thing you're going to see are actually like edible cookies please no it's not the edible ones just edible try cookies, and add yeah. you know add cookie even if you add, you say cookies and you add the word privacy something will come up google is very easy it makes life so much easier so like it will take you to the kind of cookies you're looking for <laughs> Okay, okay. So I feel like my Instagram can hear me on the phone. Can even hear my thoughts. I keep getting advertisements for things I tell my friends I'm interested in. I find this creepy. Is there anything I can do about it? This is funny because I just remember that like um, a couple of days ago, so, uh, someone at my office was looking for a, a dress for 
a particular event and she she picked up her phone and she kept shouting to her phone dinner dress gown gown dinner gown gown and then she kept saying lagos abuja dinner gown and i was one and i was like are you okay like why are you why are you screaming dinner gown into your phone and she was like wait and see wait and see i'll start getting advertisements um of all kinds of dinner dinner dresses and gowns and i was like you're not this is not a good thing you're not supposed to you know you're not supposed to be picking um I'm using this for things like this, but yeah, sorry, that was just something I, I, I remembered and it does happen and it's really, really creepy, isn't it? It's so creepy when that happens, yeah. when, when you have apps, um, when you have Google and Instagram and, you know, et cetera, just listening in to all your conversations and you get advertised. Oh, the scenario even says, I find this creepy. It is, but micro-targeting, what do you think can be done about it? How do you avoid um, situations like this? Because most people do not even sign into, most people don't even agree to it. It just, it's just something that's just ignored. And it's really scary that they're able to tailor advertisements and, and political. The one that scares me the most is political messages as well. And so maybe from listening in in your conversations, yeah. they know that, for example, you're supporting this party and the fact that they can influence your thoughts and your opinions mm. for you to now end up picking a party. It's, it's just, uh, I, I mean, and this is something that has happened with the Cambridge Analytica scandal. I'm sure we've, we've heard of that. Okay, so I think with this issue, um, I think so sometimes some of it has to do with the, the way your social media settings are. Um, one of the things that we are also looking forward to putting out this privacy week, hopefully, is um, a sort of manual on how to sort of adjust your settings, such as social media settings to reduce um, targeted advertising, so micro-targeting. Um, to be fair, let me first say that I don't think the listening... Okay, maybe Siri is listening to you, and because Siri then mm-hmm. Google's... No, like so if you if you activate mm-hmm. Siri or any any voice um any voice um they called voice search services anyone those ones Siri um I don't remember what the Google the Android one is called but if you activate those um if you actually click on the button um and they come up and you ask them a question you're gonna get ads about it but to say they're listening to your phone mm. calls no they're not I think it's just AI mm. that has basically gotten to the point where, um, you know, they have enough data about you, they can almost figure out um, what almost it is you want and what you're looking for and, and so on. They, they serve you advertisement based mm. on that. Exactly. So the, it's not, nobody's, it's creepy, yes, but, you know, this is why you should manage your information online and how much information about yourself you're putting out there and who you're giving that information to. One of the reasons why yeah. I recommended backlights actually is because of that. So you know who you're giving your information to. Now, um, yeah, I think one of the so so just your settings. So hopefully, when we put out that manual, you'll be able to see how to adjust settings across different social media platforms to basically reduce. It wouldn't reduce your advert the fact that you would not get advertisements. It just would not be what you're thinking. It just may not All be what time. you have said mm-hmm. or what you're thinking. Because it's basically, it wouldn't be, it could be generic. So, for example, I think, I don't remember which one of my social media platforms, I don't have um, advertisement that's um, based, targeted to my demographic. I just have general advertisement. 
Like, mm-hmm. so, you know, I'll get all yeah. sorts of random ads that have no business to do with it, but I'm perfectly happy with that. Um, I don't feel the need to see ads mm-hmm. based on things that, you know, people in my demographic or people in my profile uh, are looking mm-hmm. at. So, yeah, that's probably the, the way that I think, you know, you can maybe sort that out. But really just being careful so, yeah. about what information about yourself you put outside. I always mm-hmm. say... Mm-hmm. I rather keep to myself things like my religious affiliation, my political opinion. I don't feel the need to share that. If they guess and they guess correctly, good on them. Uh, but things like even you like liking things that are so for example, your church has an Instagram page and then you like their post, or your political party has an Instagram page, you share or like they have a so whatever mm-hmm. social media platform you would post, you share. So those are literally these are things that are giving the system or the engine the data about you because you've liked or whatever mm-hmm. that um yeah mm-hmm. okay last one 100%. last 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 one i keep getting messages from a particular payday loan company about different people who have defaulted on their loans often these people these are these people are people whose contacts i do not even have mm-hmm. what's going on here these loan sharks horrible horrible people horrible guys you know um i can't overemphasize on the word horrible but the thing is what they're doing now is just so ridiculous because i'm funny enough this this whole loan shark thing came from countries in asia so like this wasn't even like the 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 loan sharks are operating now in nigeria are mostly not even being run by like the directors of the company, once you investigate, right, you, yeah. you find out that they're not even being run by Nigerians. These are people from countries in Asia that are coming into Nigeria because it's such a big market. You know, Nigeria is always a big market when it comes to things like this. And so they, they've started to push these things in Africa, right? Unfortunately, um, the, the victims and then also the loan the companies themselves so in terms of looking at it from the perspective of the people taking out the loans sometimes they're actually the ones at fault because what happens is so I've, I've received calls where the person will be like oh i took a loan from six different companies and then um i did not pay back because god has not provided me with the funds to pay back yet but I had the intention of paying back. It's just that the money didn't come through. And so then they've started to push my messages. I know that, you know, things are hard in the country and everything and people have financial, but you need to also financial issues, but you need to also be responsible for the kind of decisions you're making and taking loans from six, seven, eight different loan companies and not paying back any of those loans you are also going to be seen as someone that is at fault. So from our perspective, even in the in the Bureau, is we're looking more at the people that were sent these messages without their consent. So you've never, you're just sitting down mm. minding your business and you you start receiving, you, they start bombard, bombarding you with messages saying, oh, this person is a rapist. This person is yeah. a serial chronic debtor. This person, you know, um, this person has taken so, so, so amount of yeah. money you are not, you don't care, like, you're just sitting down, you never consented to that sort of thing, so the question is now whether loan sharks are even allowed to put that as a, as a, because what they'll tell you is that if you look at our terms and conditions, we told them that this is what was going to happen, or they've given us consent, but in the first place, Mm -hmm. are you even, exactly, but in the first place, are you even allowed to put in 
because their contacts, the list of contacts within that person's phone, the person that's taken the loan's phone, is not specifying anything mm-hmm. about, you know, they, they never agree to be keep on receiving constant, constant, exactly. constant messages, you know. So you have to look at it from that perspective and you have to look at it from the the perspective of the of whether you're even allowed to put in those kind of stipulations within your terms and conditions and what kind of or your privacy policy and what kind of what kind of you know what kind of privacy policy are you supposed to have in the first place like what is the quality of the um uh, the privacy policy what kinds of terms can you put into that and 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 so on and so so yeah i definitely think that there's a lot of um I think there are very, very, very few loan shark companies that are actually doing the right thing in trying to retrieve um, their money back from their customers. Um, Funds, most yeah. of them, what, the, yeah, mm-hmm. the, the the mechanisms they're using now is just extremely dangerous. It's putting a lot of people's lives at risk as well. People are losing their jobs. I've received a call where someone has well, called and was just crying and crying and was just saying that like, my boss is about to fire mm-hmm. me because of this loan that I took. And, you know, this is, it's really sad. Um, this is personal information that shouldn't, you know, it shouldn't be out there in the public. Nobody needs to know that you took a loan. Um, nobody needs to be called mm-hmm. uh, a criminal or a rapist or just simply from taking a loan. And their picture, the sad part is they, they then also put pictures, um, you know, with the, the horrible messaging and everything. And so... So yeah, it's definitely yeah. something we're working on. Um, we're working in collaboration with FCCPC on on this particular matter, but um, it's just such a big thing. It's it spread the thing spread like wildfire. Like the whole thing just spread in last two three years. Like it, it just went crazy, and so we're just trying to see how to control that from a yeah. regulate um, regulatory standpoint. This is this 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 issue of payday loan companies. So now from the perspective of me as somebody who has received a message from um from a payday loan company, what I hear you say is like, okay, so for now we're working on finding a solution as a bureau um to these problems, but for now, what can I do? I guess the only thing you can do is block them. So, um okay, so for you just receiving the messages from someone else that has um from the company that the loan so basically that the same thing has happened to me several times yeah. um it's very difficult to ha- it's very difficult to because you never consented to you don't even know who this company is you don't know why they're messaging you so how mm-hmm. it's it's difficult to so what we do is we try to contact the company companies and say this person brought in a complaint they have no business with you and they're receiving mm. messages from you and that shouldn't be allowed right um and you're not allowed to do that yeah. it's not within it's even if it's within your terms and conditions you're wrong you know and we're trying to get like the police investigation team to also investigate mm-hmm. the companies and their practices um and see whether um they're even running yeah. a legitimate um a loan company as well um yeah. but in terms of there's mm-hmm. really not a lot you can do because you had no you, you had no you know you can ask them to try to stop receiving messages but yeah. i will tell you out of experience yeah they might not listen to you and so the best thing would be to try and send in a complaint to the bureau um and and then we will take it up from there and try and investigate and see um what can be done lena thank you so much for being on this episode i feel like there has been a lot like especially the insights into 
not only things that you can do personally, but also stuff about like what the viewers doing to sort of well, get ahead of mm-hmm. some of these issues and sort of find um help the mm-hmm. consumers find some solutions. And the fact that you've also I think this is the first time that I've really felt like okay, you're really sending an email and complain, and they are looking at the emails, um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because you know you know you, you can complain. Everybody says you can complain. Just like companies say you can, you can send us an email and complain to us, but you know nobody does anything about it. But to sort of hear and see from your perspective that, you know, we actually take these things seriously. We're investigating it. We can even help you at this rate because what you said basically about the loan companies is you send the viewer an email, the viewer reaches out to the company on your behalf. That's almost like an indirect way of helping us as data subjects sort of enforce Mm -hmm. our data subject rights in a world, especially Mm -hmm. in a society in Nigeria, where a lot of companies Mm -hmm. can do without... um, offering the basic um, enforcement for our rights that we need, right? Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for being on the mm-hmm. episode. Like, it's been a blast, absolutely. I have been looking forward to this episode and it did not, it did not fall short of my expectations. It was amazing. Thank you so much, Lena. Yeah. Thank you so much, Yetinde, for having me. I've always, I've said this to you before, I've always wanted to be on a podcast and I'm happy that my first podcast is on privacy, bar and ban. So, so excited about that. Thank you so much for having Yay. me. Um, I had a good time as well. Um, so it, it was it was great being on your podcast. Until next time. Yeah, you, it remains our, our lovely DPU and I, Yetinde. This episode was sponsored by Ikigai Innovation Initiative. I was brought to you by Tech Hive Advisory. And a big shout out to our executive producer, Ridwan Oluyedi, associate producers, Dolakwan Yitindi. This podcast was edited by Ayonfe Aino, shout out to her, and our podcast associate, Victoria Adaramola, and graphics by Okwe Abujade.